stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Good morning out there, beloved. It's good to welcome you to this time of Bible study. Here with Rick Bonfins Ministries, I'm Gene Thomas, and delighted to see you today as we begin our journey through First Timothy, coming down this morning to the final chapter, chapter six, which we're going to outline a little bit together. And that, uh, looking back on what we've done, that's basically what we have done every week is outline a different chapter. Uh, it's six chapters. It doesn't seem like very much, but in the end of the, at the end of the day, I've been with you over three hours on that subject, and we have looked in an exhaustive way at the background, a little bit of different background every day on text, and a little bit of different topics every day. On the text, so if you look back over the, the videotapes of our times together, you'll find a lot of material there that can be looked at a lot closer than what we had time to do it. But it's good to be able to see the forest sometimes rather than the trees. It's good to take a good look above from the vantage point of chapters. Although we know, you know, that. Originally, numbers weren't in the Bible. They, the ancient Greek had no no chapters, no verses, as the King James people put it together. They had chapters and verses, and then some numbers became important to understanding the gospel. But originally, this was just a little letter, and the paragraphs in the Greek became numbered chapters. Sentences became verses, sometimes more than one sentence was put together to become a verse. But it's a fascinating thing to think about the development of, of the Bible. Uh, you may have some letters at home somewhere that are very important to you. And this letter was very important to the early church. That sweet relationship developed between the church and the what's called pastoral epistle in the New Testament. That development was because they are mentioned in there. Their problems are discussed in there. And they think about the difficulties that they had. And they relate to this idea of a pastor pastoring to them through the form of a letter. Um, it doesn't have to be a very complicated letter, but if you will sit down sometimes and write a letter of a spiritual nature, there's great power in it for you. Uh, tell somebody that you love them and why, that you appreciate their ministry and why. And it's a powerful thing. Uh, it can be a wonderful tool to encourage people with. And that's what this this letter was. An admonition, of course, there are a lot of that in there, but also words of encouragement as they talked about the, the churches and Timothy himself. 
Um, so what I'm going to do is I want to read that little chapter to you, and I want to read it from the uh, Living Bible again because that does make this simple, and I want you to be able to have that. Let me read First Timothy chapter six. Christian slaves should work hard for their owners. Respect them. Never let it be said that Christ's people are poor workers. Don't let the name of God or his teaching be laughed at because of this. If their owner is a Christian, that is no excuse for slowing down. Rather, they should work all the harder because a brother in the faith is being helped by their efforts. Teach these truths, Timothy, and encourage all to obey them. Some may deny these things, but they are the sound, wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ and are the foundation for a godly life. Anyone who says anything different is both proud and stupid, quibbling over the meaning of Christ's words and stirring up arguments ending in jealousy and anger, which only lead to name-calling, accusations, and evil suspicions. These augurers, their minds wrapped by sin, don't know how to tell the truth. To them, the good news is just a means of making money. Keep away from them. Do you want to be truly rich? You already are if you are happy and good. After all, we didn't bring any money with us when we came into the world, and we can't carry away a single penny when we die. So we should be well satisfied without money if we have enough food and clothing. But people who long to be rich soon begin to do all kinds of wrong things to get money, things that hurt them, make an evil minded, finally send them to hell itself. For the love of money is the first step toward all kinds of sin. Some people have even turned away from God because of their love for it, and as a result, have pierced themselves with many sorrows. For Timothy, you are God's man. Run from all these evil things and work instead at what is right and good.
learning to trust him and love others and to be patient and gentle. Fight on for God. Hold tightly to the eternal truth which God has given you and which you have confessed with such a ringing confession before many witnesses. I command you before God who gives life to all and before Jesus Christ who gave a fearless testimony before Pontius Pilate that you fulfill all he has told you to do so that no one can find fault with you. From now until our Lord Jesus Christ returns. For in due season, Christ will be revealed from heaven to, by the blessed and only Almighty God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who above all can never die, who lives in light so terrible that no human being can approach him. No mere man has ever seen him, or ever will. Unto him be honor and everlasting power and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Tell those who are rich not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. But their pride and trust feel them being the living God who always richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use the money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give happily to those in need. Always be ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven. It's the only safe investment for eternity, and they will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. Oh, Timothy, don't fail to do these things that God has entrusted to you. Keep out of foolish arguments with those who boast of their knowledge and don't thus prove their lack of it. Some of these people have missed the important thing in life. They don't know God. May God's mercy be upon you. Brothers of Reason. In the world of Bible study, deep Bible study, often we look for things that signal what's called additions to work. Here's what I want to say. When, when these letters and when this whole Bible was, was, was transcribed in the first and second centuries, there were no copy machines, of course, no printing presses, no way to do anything but by hand, a cursive hand, as a matter of fact. So it, that looked like it was single letters, but they only used lowercase Greek. They didn't use uppercase letters. So, and there were no punctuation marks. You had to guess where the sentence ended and started. 
You didn't because you didn't have capital letters to tell you about that in that particular work. They'd get probably a dozen or more, maybe less, maybe more, individual scribes in a room somewhere, and a person would sit up front on a chair, something like I'm sitting, and that person would, would, would dictate to the crowd their writing different Bibles. There would be maybe a dozen vellum Bibles open, one at each writer's desk. The reader would start and read, and they would have to keep up and write what the reader read to them from their Bible. Now, when they got through, of course, what they had was 12 Bibles, all annotated, all put together there, for the, for, and you could fold them up and send them out to the churches to use as Bibles in their readings. They all were alike, all were the same. Now, I'm going a long way around to point out to you that in this verse here, which says, uh, unto him be honor and everlasting power and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's a typical farewell salutation. That, that's, that's somebody closing a letter. But then in verse 4, I can't hardly read it so small. Well, 17, I think. Yeah, 17. He starts over again. Starts right up, right there. Amen. They tell those who are rich not to be past these points. Over ground, he's already been over. The chances are not are good that that was an addendum sometime added to that text. It doesn't make it bad or terrible, but it does show out to us how difficult it has been for us to get this wonderful Bible into our hands. It's a marvelous thing, but very complex. Very complicated, wonderful thing. I just want to pull two things out of the chapters for you this morning to give consideration to quite a deal, good deal of discussion is held forth around the subject of slaves and slavery. We want to go there because we've got to get into our into our senses why that is such a subject. It starts out that way. That Timothy talks out starts out in that sixth chapter addressing slaves and slavery, and he wants he wants us to think of this because slavery was. In the Roman Empire at the time, one probably in five people I read at one source were slaves. At another place, I read that 50% of the population were slaves. Another place, I discovered that slavery was not the same as slavery we think of in terms of American bondage slavery. That was a different, different kind of slavery. That was much, much lighter weight than bondage slavery that we think of in the deep south and the cotton fields and all these places. No, these were often in these ancient locations, such as Ephesus, where this letter was generated. There they think that they know that slavery was often made up of 
prisoners of war that were taken by Roman soldiers and often they could not speak the language and they had to learn how to speak the language. And sometimes they were not just prisoners of war, but they were people who sold themselves into a situation of, of slavery. Uh, they could be born into slavery, but it was not a, not a racial consideration for us to think about. That was not the problem. It, it was a situation where it was no less painful, but the slave owners of that day and the slave owners of this day are similar but different. Similar but different. It's not unlikely that slaves and freedmen were sitting up in the church side by side. We, we believe that at least one church was pastored by slaves. We know that they, they did many, many wonderful things within the culture for the, for the culture to do anything at all. For Rome to be able to do the things that Rome did, and Rome did magnificent things. Um, it's been said that the gospel came into the world at just the right moment because Rome had brought peace to the world. Paul and Timothy were, were walking along roads that were relatively safe because there was no war going on. The Pax Romana had come. There was no war. The time for Jesus to be born was the most perfect time in all of history for him to come into the world. Now, stopping for just a moment and thinking about the bondage that we are acquainted with, and the bondage that he has talked about, we, we need to just slow down a minute and say, and remember that bondage slavery in this country was much a much deeper spiritual matter. You may have slave ownership in your historical background. I know I do. And um, sometimes that needs to be prayed about, that you be delivered from anything like that. To be mindful of that. And so this text makes us mindful, going right into this sixth chapter, of the necessity that the farewell word of Paul, that the last group that he seems to want to remember and bless, is slave and slavery. The Greek word for the slave owner is the same word that's used for despot. It means, it means bad. But the despots of that day were very different from the despots that we're familiar with in our day. Some have argued that this passage, or did argue, that this passage indicated that slavery was a biblical thing, that it was good, that it was all right. We know now, of course, it isn't and it wasn't. But Scripture can be used in a bad way. And it was. So those are part of the farewell words that come from that marvelous sixth chapter as Paul concludes his, his, his letter. The Lord willing, we will go on now, he says, having concluded his talk there about the dolos or the, or the slaves which, by the way, can also be 
interpreted to the word servant, servanthood, and being a good servant is the same word. There's no use trying to bring, uh, to, to bring you back to the Lord again if you have once uh, heard the good news and uh, tasted for yourself the good things of heaven, shared in the Holy Spirit, know the good word of God is, tell the mighty powers of the world to come, and you have turned against God. Now that there is a long accusation, a necessary one. What he's saying is, there's no redemption here. <laughs> That's all. I'm sorry, just as, clear, as far as the church is concerned, if you turn your back on the Holy Ghost and leave it, you're done for. And that's important because you see the church was being persecuted in this day. And in order to live, some people said, well, let's, let's be be braver on another day. I mean, for goodness sake, don't let us all die trying to defend the faith when we can just give it up. And after the heat is gone, we can take it up again. See, take it up again. That's what Paul is arguing against here in these verses. And if you've once tasted of it, of the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost power, you're on your way to heaven. See, right now. So you can't turn your back on it and then expect to come back to it. Today in this teaching time we are having here together, we are uh, on uh, December the 8th. On December the 7th, just yesterday, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. And you, you may have seen that on the news yesterday or something, reminding us of that historical moment. You might need to remember that the captain in charge of the Japanese attack wave was high above it and called shots. His name was Mitsuro Fuchida. Now, the interesting thing about him was he survived the Second World War. We had a Bible track in somewhere in Tokyo, became a Christian, went all over the world teaching and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was forgiven. Now, I don't, by Jesus, I don't know. <laughs> and I think he didn't forgive him, but Billy Graham did. You look on YouTube, you'll find him with his arm around Fuchita back in the 50s. There's something to see. It really was. Something to learn from. But not here. There'll be no redemption there because you had to hold yourself together and be on board with that thing. My parallel is a little weak there, but just the same. That's the topic of the uh, of the text there. We we have to close along the lines of farewell remarks to clergy. The chapter breaks down to farewell remarks to laity or folk, and then farewell remarks to what might be clergy in terms of Timothy, the leaders in the church, people trying to see the. It's taken care of. One of the things he says is don't be so fussy all the time. Don't be don't make an argument of everything. Don't be in in making a fuss about something. I know 
in, in the Methodist church right now is a big fight going on between what you call progressives on the one hand, people that want to change things and all, and then on the other hand, you have traditional folk who call themselves. Traditional, we don't want to do this, we, we got this and that. And, and the, the arguments go back and forth, some positive, some negative. And somebody called the other day and said, are you a probe or a trad? And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Well, what do you want? A probe is a progressive, and a trad is a traditionalist. And are you a probe or a trad? I said, I don't know. It sounds like to me something Star Trek. I mean, two, two different planets. The planet of the probes and the planet of the trad. I, I don't know what's up. Well, that is what I'm referring to. Then fighting about things, fighting about things, fighting, fighting, fighting. That's killing us. I hope it don't spread to the rest of you. But Paul says, run away from that. Make tracks. What Ricky Bonfim says, a hot tail. <laughs> there comes a time to get out of Dodge. It's a hot tail. And when you do that, you get away from that. Uh, there's a wonderful book called Pilgrim's Progress, written a long time ago by a man named John Bunyan. But uh, Pilgrim's Progress is a story of, the, of a man who leaves home and runs trying to find salvation of God. He wants God's salvation, and he goes into all these places of adventure, and he learns to leave his burdens at the foot of the cross, and finally he finds the celestial city that he's working for, searching for salvation. Then, then he says, fight the good fight. In other words, fight it. It's a, it's a time of contention in this community in that day. And he wanted them to fight the good fight. What is a good fight? A good fight is one that's clean, that's refereed carefully. That a good fight is it has has the, uh, uh, the knowledge that it's clean. That's in, in verse twelve. Uh, and just because you're big, don't mean you're going to win. I mean, just because you're small, don't mean you. But the fight is yours. But you need to contend. I can't make that. Easy pablum for you to take this morning. That's what it said. Rich people, don't be so highfalutin. You know, he says very carefully. And he doesn't say highfalutin, but maybe you don't know what that means. I don't, not sure I do either. I couldn't find it in the dictionary anywhere, but I know my mother used it a lot. She saw somebody flaunting the riches and stuff, and she said, Look at him, they're being highfalutin. Well, <laughs> don't be so highfalutin. If God has blessed you that way, learn that contentment in every situation is what godliness is. Godly people are content people. They don't need a whole lot of foolishness. They just need more and more of God. And whatever they can, they got, they're content with it and love it. Godliness is a Greek word, Eusebius. And there was a man named that who wrote a great history of the church. Godly, godly man, godly man. Well, I'm going to bring this to a close because we have gone on through Timothy. I just want to recap that we looked at all six chapters in terms of a, of an outline. In each one of them, we had the opportunity to discuss some topics within them. And we looked at some of the... Uh, areas about the study of the Bible. We looked at background of, 
of Church Timothy. And wherefore we go from here, I do not know. I don't tell me what to do, and when they do, we'll get it done. I want you to know that we love you, we care for you, think about you. Let me have a word of prayer with you. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for these verses. Thank you for the joy of knowing you. Thank you for sending us this letter down through the ages to encourage us and to bless us. Be with this ministry and its missionary work and its evangelism work. We ask these things in Jesus' name. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. Farewell for today. God bless you. Eu quero ser